Stories. Everybody's got them, and we can learn from each other. History can be traced through letters and writings, but the one thing that has remained throughout the generations is the oral tradition. Oral history is one attempt to pass along the stories, tales, musings, and remembrances of one family for the benefit of listeners for generations to come. Join us now for this episode of Oral History with Jeff Silkowski. Thanks for being with us today. In episode 17, we're going to continue on with something I started several episodes ago, and it's my faith journey. This is going to be part three. And we're going to deal with some of the places that we've been and and where it led to. And one of the places that we'd been in episode 15 was a discussion of my time in Nashville, the early years in Nashville, uh, when I was with Steve Green Ministries and the, the growth that happened there. Um, the the job was wonderful, but you can go back and you can listen to uh, an entire episode about the Steve Green ministry years. What I want to talk to you about today is the growth that took place in my life with a group of guys that were gathered around me. I mentioned one of them, a young man by the name of Chip. Chip and his wife uh, were instrumental in just loving and caring for me. Um, Chip was my best man, and they were go-to people for dinner and friendship, and we really grew to be brothers. Um, went through good times and bad with him, uh, fears and difficulties and ups and downs. And it was many guys in Nashville that really uh, caused me to grow in my relationship with Christ. Not only Chip, but I had guys like Jeff and Keith, uh, other folks like Jeff and Steve and Brian and Scott. And these were just men who came alongside me at a time when I was uh, alone for the first time, um, on my own for the first time, away from family for the first time. And they showed me that there is depth and wisdom in surrounding yourself with believers. And that's true in churches as well. I know many people want to say that they can be a Christian without being part of a church. And I know that's a popular uh, way to approach it nowadays. But it's not so much that the that you need the church. It's that the church needs you. And it's not so much that you need friends around you. It's that the friends may need you. And in my case, the friends that God gathered around me helped me to grow. Um, when I was living in the house with Brian, uh, the house that the ministry owned, Steve Reed Ministries, I was isolating because I didn't know hardly anyone. I knew the people I worked with, but I really had not branched out. And Brian just kept inviting me to be a part of a Bible study, a men's Bible study that they were having. It was not associated with any particular church. It was just a group of guys that wanted to get together and share life together, to be accountable to one another, to go through the ups and downs, to to study God's word together. And I stiff-armed that group for a number of weeks and then finally gave in. And it was the best decision that I'd ever made in my life because God began to grow me and he began to grow me in relationship with others in ways that I had never encountered. I had guys that if 
I were having a difficult time, I knew without a shadow of a doubt I could pick up the phone and call them. And it could be three in the morning, it could be uh, middle of the afternoon, and they would answer and they would respond. They would pray with me and they would care for me and they would talk to me and they would invite me into their homes. Um, one in particular, uh, I remember a situation where I had not the first panic attack in my life, but the first markedly pronounced panic attack. I was living in a condo in Nashville and I was laying on the couch and there was nothing particularly stressful in my life going on, um, a variety of little things, but I just suddenly felt a panic attack coming on. And if you've never had one, it's hard to explain, but all I could say about this particular one was it felt like a 400 pound gorilla was sitting on my chest and the only response I could feel was I had to get up and I had to get away. And I kind of dealt with it on my own for a few minutes and then realized I needed somebody else. And so I picked up the phone. It was about 1130 at night and I called my friend Steve and Steve answered because Steve would always answer. And I kind of told him what was going on and his response was, well, come spend the, spend the night in our guest room. It won't be a problem. You don't need to be alone. And that's the kind of relationships that I had developed. I had a, another friend named Keith who, when I began being stirred in uh, 2000, 2001 to run a half marathon to benefit the American Stroke Association in on behalf of my mom, in, in honor of my mom, Keith came alongside of me and wanted to run with me three mornings a week. And Keith would run around, run laps during the hard months, the winter months in Nashville. He'd run laps with me around the gymnasium at our church. And then when it got to be nicer, he would run through the neighborhood with me. And he did it every morning. And after about three weeks, I asked him if he was going to run the half marathon with me. And he said, no. And I asked him, well, why are you doing this? And he said, because I love you and I want to support you. And I just had never encountered friendships like this in my life. Friendships were, growing up friendships were something that I could gain something from, but they weren't particularly deep. We had a common interest in something and we would pursue that, but if that interest waned, then we weren't friends anymore. And it happened a couple of times throughout my lifetime. But these were friendships that just transcended anything. And they, they were friendships that were deeper than anything I had ever encountered. And they were friendships based on mutual trust in what God was doing in our lives. Steve loved me that way. Brian loved me that way. Um, Keith loved me that way. Chip loved me that way. They loved me in ways that were based on our mutual love and pursuit of God. And those friendships just changed my life. So much so that when my wife and I got married in 2005, it was obvious to me that I needed about 12 of these guys to stand up with me and uh, to be a part of my wedding. My wife finally talked me down to 10. She was thinking five or three, and I just had this group of guys that were so important in my life that they needed to be a part of it. 
from my brother and my brother-in-law growing up to my friend Sean from all of my years from kindergarten through college to all these guys in Nashville who had invested so much in me. And so that's how I approached that. Now, those same kind of friendships, these particular friendships developed outside the context of any particular church. We all were parts of different churches for the most part. But those friendships develop in churches as well. And one of the things I want to talk to you about today is if if you think you can Lone Ranger it, if you think that being a part of a church is not worth it because you've been in too many where people were hypocritical or where you got hurt, I guarantee you, you are not alone. People have been hurt in every church anywhere. I love to tell this joke, but there's a, a gentleman who was marooned on an island for decades. And finally, someone comes to rescue him and this boat pulls up and they disembark on the shore and they they greet him and he's so thrilled that somebody has come to rescue him and they they look around at his surroundings and they see three buildings on the top of the hill and they ask him they said what what exactly are those those buildings on the top of the hill and he said well that one on the left that's my house and they're like okay and and they said what about the the one on the right he said well that's my church and they said, well, what about the one in the middle? He goes, well, that's where I used to go to church. Now, as you process that, you realize that he's by himself and he still couldn't stay in a church because something happened. And that's true. We're all broken people. We're all sinful, fallen people. And when we come together, we can tend to hurt one another. But it doesn't mean you need to give up on church. That's, I think, the message today is please don't give up on church. And again, it's not so much that you need the church, but the church needs you. And you do need the church. You do need to develop friendships that are based on your your mutual desire to pursue God and, and, and to trust him and to follow him and to learn his word. But But the church needs you as well. I've had some discussions recently with people that are thinking of leaving a church because they've gotten hurt. And and I know what it's like. And they're ready to leave. And I've encouraged them to please stick it out because everybody gets hurt. Everywhere you go, you're going to get hurt. And I know that doesn't sound very encouraging, but the best thing you can do is to fight for those friendships. When you have a dear friend, you don't just have a dust up and then walk away. And I know some things are way bigger than dust ups, but it's worth fighting for. And and if you're part of a church or if you want to be a part of a church, it's worth fighting to be a part of that church. Um, one of the churches I was a part of in Nashville, and I started there when I first moved to town, I, I began my journey when I was in Nashville of looking for a church just based on geography. I was going to find something that was near my house because when I lived in Colorado, I was 40 miles from the church that I attended and it really prevented me from being a part of anything on a regular basis. I, I could do Sunday morning and that was about it and I didn't feel as particularly connected as I wanted to be. So when I moved to Nashville, I just be began 
kind of a spiral outward from my house kind of grid search. And the first church I went to, I went on a Sunday night and I arrived at this little church and I was dressed in khakis and a polo shirt. And I knew something was different when I walked in the door and every gentleman in the church was wearing a suit and tie. And there was a young man who was probably 12 years old leading a cappella worship and his voice was cracking and it was hard to follow him because his voice was cracking because he was 12. And, but they were very sweet people and I, and they were very gracious to me, but I felt like that's probably not my comfort zone. It's not what I was looking for. And so I kind of stuck a pin in it and decided I would try some other ones and so the next place I went to was a Baptist church just down the street from where I lived. And I walked in the door on a Sunday night and same basic kind of attire. And I sat in the back corner and I enjoyed the worship service and I enjoyed the teaching. And, and I got up to leave and I put my hand on the door to walk out the door. And that was the first time anyone in the church had spoken to me. And somebody said, hey, it's been great that you were with us tonight. And I thought, okay, maybe they're having an off night, but it was not particularly welcoming. And again, I wasn't going to just write them off. I put a pin in that one and I thought, I'll try something else. And the third church I went to was down the street from me around the corner. And it was this little church kind of tucked in this little notch back in a hill on this tiny little side road called Hicks Road. And I'd driven past it many times and wondered what was there. But when I walked in the very first Sunday night, I was greeted within five seconds of walking through the door by a lady who was probably in her 60s. And she greeted me warmly and she immediately gravitated toward me and expressed concern for me that she felt like I had been kind of away from home or I was in need of a, 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 a parental influence. And she just loved me, Mary Catherine Cantrell. And she loved me and she cared for me and she welcomed me. And I just saw more and more and more of that from the people at Westmead Fellowship. They invited me in to do a number of things and just welcomed me. And so I got interested in this church and I wanted to be a part of it. And so I called a meeting with the pastor, my my friend Ken Riggs, and I asked him for a meeting and I, I wandered in one day and pulled into the parking lot behind the church and his office was in a building, an outbuilding behind the church. And I walked into his office and I just asked him some really difficult questions. I asked him what the church believed and I asked him what they were all about what they wanted to accomplish in this neighborhood and and he gave he gave me the right answers and I became a part of that church and I was loved and cared for in amazing ways I made deep friendships in that church that's where I met Chip um, I met Cynthia a good friend of mine there I met Phil uh, a very good friend who was running the tech ministry and of course my instinct is to gravitate to the soundboard and I began following him and 
I became friends with him. I became friends with his family and his kids and, and just on and on and met lovely, lovely people. And it was wonderful. And it was glorious. The, the years we were there, the, this little church, the building had been a segregated school building and it had been unoccupied for decades when Westmead moved in. And they basically tore the building down to nothing but the four exterior cinder block walls on the dirt floor. And they built this beautiful little church on this property and they did it themselves so much with the blood, sweat and tears of the members that one of them, a dear friend of mine named Ken, actually fell through the ceiling when they were doing construction and injured his back. But they put their lives into that little building and, and they put their lives into people like me that wandered through the door. And they loved me and cared for me. And and I'd love to tell you that everything was peachy and keen and there were no conflicts and it was the greatest church ever, but it would one day, a number of years later, become the place that I used to go to church. And there were just difficulties. There were difficulties caused by me. I take full responsibility for my part. There were difficulties in trying to change the culture of a church. Um, if you've ever been through something called worship wars, you understand what I mean. Um, if you try to change the, the worship style of a church, it can be very difficult. Um, and, and we tried and we failed. And But I went from attender to member to working in the sound ministry to working in children's ministry to teaching uh, young people on Wednesday nights to being an elder to being a staff member and became a staff member at the behest of two very dear friends that again were invested in me. One of them I mentioned before, Keith, and the other one, Jeff. Keith was the youth pastor and Jeff was the music minister. And when I left Steve Green Ministries, they I didn't know where I was going to land. I knew I wanted to work in church, but I had an opportunity in Columbus, Ohio to work at a church and do technical ministry and actually went and interviewed and was even offered the job. But in the meantime, I had grown very close to a group of young people that I was teaching on Wednesday night. We were the Westmead FBI. We were the Westmead Fellowship Bureau of Investigation. And it was five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and 13 year old kids. There were about six of them. And I just had become so attached to these kids that I couldn't leave. And so my dear friends, Jeff and Keith, developed a job for me at Westmead. They came up with a job description of church administrator and youth pastor. And Keith even stepped aside from his part-time responsibilities to allow me to come on staff. And, and I did that. And I, and I loved those kids and I loved the teenagers and I loved the young adults. And, and, I, and I gravitated into a role of young adults pastor and, and then went through some difficulties and the church kind of uh, fractured, fractured over these worship wars. And 
we had a number of people leave in the first wave and it was people like my friend Chip's dad and mom, they left and some older folks left. And then it still didn't get any better and a group of younger people left and they were most of my friends, Chip and Cynthia and others and Jeff and Keith. And I was one of two staff members left when kind of the dust settled. When I started, there was a children's minister, a youth pastor, a music minister, and a senior pastor. And when I left staff, when I left, there was nothing but a youth pastor who had only been there for six months, and that's my friend Joel. And those are the difficulties. And those are the things that happen in church all the time. It's not the first time I had difficulties in church. I had, I ran into difficulties in the church that I got saved in. We went from about 125 when I first got to the church. We got to a point where we were seeing upwards of 200 people coming to that church. And there was a point at which when all was said and done that my friend and I, 20 years old at the time, were two of the six people dispossessing the assets of the church because it had crumbled beneath us. I still don't know what happened there. I know pretty well what happened at West Mead, but I still love these people. I still want to be a part of their lives. Every time we go to Nashville, and most recently I've been in Nashville within the last year, I go there and worship because I love those people that much. I care for them deeply and I want to be a part of their lives still. So the church didn't need me and yeah, they did. And I didn't need the church, but when all was said and done, I did need the church and they did need me. And it was a time of great growth in my life. I learned how to be a staff member at a church. I learned how to teach, had the opportunities to, had a couple of opportunities to, to teach from the, the pulpit on Sundays. I, I learned how to care for a staff. I learned how to care for uh, a session or a, a church elder board. I learned how to care for people and I learned how to do a lot more technical things. I tell people that there's a there's a wall at the facility that now houses Westmead Fellowship. Um, halfway through my tenure there, they built a facility across the hill from that little bombed out school, segregated school building that they had built. They built a beautiful facility on a large uh, metropolitan uh, street called Old Hickory Boulevard. And in that building, in one particular wall, I tell people you will find uh, two pairs of salad tongs and a drill bit because I spent many hours in that building running wires for internet and running wires for video and running wires for sound systems. And one, one wall in particular, I drilled through the top of the studs from up in the drop ceiling and the drill bit came out of the chuck as I was drilling through and I had a hole in the wall down below where I was going to put a box in and I could touch the drill bit with my hand but I couldn't grab it so I got a set of salad tongs out of the kitchen and I went after it and 
lost the first set of salad tongs, and then I went in after both the salad tongs and the drill bit with a second set of salad tongs and lost that set of salad tongs. And all said and done, there's a little time capsule that when they tear that building down someday, I hope they, somebody hears this and says, now we know why. There's two sets of salad tongs and a drill bit in this wall. But those are the things that I left behind. I left blood. I left tears. I left heart, my heart in that place. I left a part of me there. And it's because of how God used me to love and care for people there and how God used them to love and care for me. So every one of us has gotten hurt somewhere. And, and I don't minimize that because for some it's been horrendous and it's been at the hands of somebody abusive and it's been something that either was criminal or bordered on criminality. And then other times it's just hurt feelings and misunderstandings and harsh words. In, in the latter of those things, not the, not the abuse and criminality, but in the latter of those things, I would encourage you to stay and fight for your relationships in a church. I understand if you were abused, you've got to get away and you've got to be safe. But if you've just gotten your feelings hurt, or you just had a misunderstanding, or somebody wounded you, talk to him. The Bible says in Matthew 18, go to your brother and try to be reconciled. And, and if they don't, then take a couple of people with you and see if that moves them. And, and in most cases, it does get resolved when people see that what they've done or what they've said has hurt someone. They want to correct that. Not always, but in most cases, they want to correct that and they want it to be healed and they want to be reconciled. But there are verses in Matthew 18 that also talk about if it doesn't get healed at those two steps, there's a third step where the church comes on board and they approach the person. And if the person is still unrepentant, then the person is basically cast out of the church not as a punishment, but as a way of saying, if you can't play nicely, we're going to ask you to leave. And our hope is that you'll want to come back and that you'll want to be a part of this and that you'll want to fight if you're the person who did the hurting. But if you're the one who was hurt, I just pray that you would press through and continue to pursue God and continue to allow him to heal those wounds so that you don't have that building in the middle on the top of that hill where you used to go to church. I know it's going to happen, but try to minimize the amount of places that you've that you go and worship and then leave and it becomes another one on the pile of places you used to go to church. Now, next time, 
I want to give you a little heads up as to where we're going before I pray. I'm going to spend some time talking to you about my time in Cleveland. I spent the first 14 years in Cleveland on staff at a church, and there were ups and downs there as well. And But it was a place where I met my wife and where we adopted my daughter and just glorious things where I was launched for full-time ministry where I'm at now. So I want to spend some time talking about those years as well and, and just continue my faith journey as we discuss part four. So right now I want to pray for you. And again, there's a number of things we've talked about today. The first one being, if you've been hurt in a church and it was abuse or it was bordering on criminality or it was criminal, I want to pray for you right now. So Father, I pray that those who have been wounded at the hands of men, the hands of women, at the hands of sin, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would heal these people right now, that you would protect their hearts and their minds, and that you would take care of these difficult, difficult things, and that you would draw them to yourself, and that you would let them know that you are trustworthy, even if some people are not, and that there are some people that are trustworthy, and that there are people that will invest in them and love them and care for them, and that they can, again, trust you and and trust others. So I pray, Father, that you would heal their hearts and their minds. Now, for those of you who have been hurt in church and it's been something less than criminal, it's been hurt feelings or misunderstandings or harsh words, my prayer for you tonight is this. Lord, minister to those who have been hurt in a church and let them see, Lord, that you want them to be a part of a body. You want them to be accountable and growing in faith and growing in trust with a group of believers. So, Father, heal the hurt, the hurt words. Provide the opportunities for reconciliation to occur. Put it in the hearts of those who are listening who have been hurt to go and say to those who have hurt them, can we talk about what happened? And for those who have hurt people, that you would convict them and draw them to yourself and that you would show them the error of their way and show them how to love people as you love people. You loved us by giving your life away, and that's how we're to love others. So instill that in, in each of us, Lord, that have been hurt in this way. And Lord, for those of who are listening that are just done with church at altogether, Father, I pray this. I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would teach them about yourself, and that you instituted the church for a reason. You call the church your bride, and, and that bride's to be given to the bridegroom, and that's Jesus. And there's to be this, this union of the church and Christ. And 
nobody can do it on their own and nobody needs to be on their own. The enemy wants us on our own. The enemy wants us out where we're trying to do it all by ourselves because then it's easy for him to pick us off. But Father, just birth in their heart that ache to be a part of a fellowship, to be a part of something that you're doing and draw them to yourself. Open their eyes and their ears to what it is that you want to do with them and through them in a church and how you want to use them to bless others as well as the ways you want to bless them through others. And then lastly, if you don't know Christ, if you're listening to this today and none of this makes any sense, but your heart's beating a little faster and you're beginning to sense that God is calling you, you're feeling the ache in your heart that only Jesus can fill. There's a hole there. There's a, a literal hole in your heart that only Christ can fill. And I don't mean your physical blood-pumping organ. I mean the, the center of your being. That there's a hole there that only Christ can fill. He made it that way so that you would understand what it is to be without him and that you would want to be a part of what it is that he's doing. So I pray that right now, if you feel the call of Jesus on your life, that you would just turn from trying to accomplish it yourself, turn from trying to fill that hole with anything else and turn to the only one who can fill that hole, and that's Jesus Christ, and ask him to be your Lord, to be in, in complete control of your life, to guide you and to teach you, to be Savior to save you from hell, to save you from sin, to save you from uh, eternal separation from God, and then turn to Jesus Christ and say, I want to serve you. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. And I believe you. what you did on the cross, you did for me. So, as we close our time together today, I just want to pray for each of you. So, Father, I, I thank you for all who listen who continue to listen. Thank you when things are difficult, we can turn toward you. And when things are great, we can turn toward you. But the bottom line is we always need to be turning toward you and we need to be seeking you and being loved by you and being guided by you. So Father, we commit our lives to you and we are so grateful that we get to be a part of what it is that you're doing in this world. So we, we lift our lives into your hands and we ask that you would use us however you choose and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Stay with us in two weeks. We'll continue on with part four of my faith journey in episode 18. Thanks for being here. Keep listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Aural History. This has been a production of Z Media and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. Join us again next time.